Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Hello, bienvenue and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast in association with BT Sport. What a weekend it was in the French title race. Have Lille made their decisive move? Can PSG bounce back? Can Monaco come through on the rails? And have Lyon blown it? As well as answering those questions, we'll talk nominative determinism after Etienne Green's star turn on his Saint-Etienne debut and hear from his fellow English-born player Montpellier hotshot Steffi Mavadidi. Plus, of course, Deja Hu and a look ahead to Paris Saint-Germain's Champions League quarter-final with Bayern Munich. A bumper edition then, and uh, we're doing this one remotely for health reasons of course, but also so that Robbie Thompson can't come at us like Neymar in the Parc de Prince tunnel. Hi, Robbie. How are you today? Hello, Dave. Thank you very much for that. You know that I'm able to keep a, a lid on my emotions, particularly in the, in the face of great adversity on a weekly basis on this podcast. I, I've so. played football with you, Rob. I think you've changed, though. You've, you've mellowed <laughs> that's, that's as, in your advancing years. It's true. On the football pitch, it might be a different story. <laughs> I'm delighted to say our other panellist today is executive producer Ian Holyman, joining us from Leafy Normandy. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Hi, chaps. Very good. Very good. I've got, I've got a lot more to say on that Neymar... Uh, keeping his cool stroke, blowing it completely in the tunnel. But uh, let's leave that for the while. Loads to talk about this week. This is going to be an excellent edition. I can feel it. I'm David Cross and I'm hosting Matt Spiro serving a Neymar-style ban this week, but uh, he should be back next week. What does that so mean, let's... Self-imposed? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if he had a birthday to go to or something, but he's not here today anyway. Uh, well, let's dive into the four-way title race, if we can still call it a four-way title race. More of that to come. And let's go to the top game of the weekend, Paris Saint-Germain against Lille, which took place on Saturday afternoon. And Robbie Thompson commentated this one from the Parc des Princes. The cut back for Jonathan David. All the space in the world. And Lille have their goal. And it's Jonathan David. The Canadians' 10th goal of the season. The break is on. Timothy Ware has got Yilmaz at the back post. Saved by Navas. The chance to win it was there for Lille. Traxler's ball for Neymar. Free kick. Oh, well, Neymar could be in trouble here. He's already got one yellow and that's red. Neymar Jr. is sent off in the 90th minute of this crucial contest. Have Paris Saint-Germain blown it? Uh, they haven't blown it yet, but uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great result. That's for, for sure. There's no denying that. And what's most perplexing about, about the performance, I think, was the performance two weeks earlier against Lyon showed all the kind of motivation the, the kind of aggression, the kind of engagement on the pitch and all of that in the, in the right sense of the term. They, they swept Leon aside with a, a real show of power in that first 60 minutes at, at Group Armour Stadium. And then here, when you've got just an, an equally bigger match, 
perhaps with a little less of the that niggly rivalry which Paris has against Lyon over the last few years, but Lille, a, a, a real rival on the pitch this season, and and it wasn't there. And it was Lille that, in terms of aggression, in terms of organisation, in terms of trying to boss the match, it was Lille that did that. And and in that respect, I mean, Mauricio Pochettino has to be asking himself the same kind of questions that Thomas Tuchel was and scratching his head probably the same way Thomas Tuchel was, wondering, you know, what what do I have to do to try and get a little bit more consistency? Or is it just the fact that physically this season is like no other we've ever had, which is what we've been repeating since the start of the campaign? And it's the same for Leon, who can't get results regularly. It's the same for Lille, who lost to Nîmes two weeks earlier. This is just the way it is, and it's going to go all the way down to the wire, and we just have to accept it. But, Robbie, the South Americans didn't have to travel this international window. They were fresh for this game. But Paris Saint-Germain, after that shot that Mike Menon saved from Kylian Mbappe, didn't do a lot. And Menon made another save from Neymar in the second half. I was going to say, if there's one positive to take out of it from Paris Saint-Germain, it shows their academy's working well. Mike Menon, <laughs> Jonathan Kone and Bubakare Sumare were excellent. And Timothy Weyer played as well in the, in, in, the, in the Lille squad. He came on in the first half. There were four ex-youth academy players in, in that Lille, Lille team at halftime. Um, yes, but there were chances, Dave. I mean, and, and yes, okay, to take it point by point, the South Americans didn't travel. But there were still 11 players that did travel, and Marco Verratti and uh, Alessandro Florenzi both came back from their Italian uh, jaunt with COVID, which is a big But so blow. did Zeki Celic and Yusuf Yazidji, so that's 2-2 two, exactly. two okay. on the COVID so, count. So 2-2 so two, two there, except that, um, well, Celic is a, a starter, but we saw his replacement was, was excellent, and Yazidji isn't a regular first-teamer in, in Ligue 1 at any rate, even if his performances in the Europa League this season were, were superb. But Marco Verratti... Uh, was a big loss. Neymar hasn't played for two months. Twenty minutes against against Leon came back to start. So perhaps lacking a little bit of rhythm, and we've seen it in the past when Neymar comes back after a long layoff, which is completely normal. It does take a little bit of time to get into your rhythm. He had, you say, Mike Menon made made a couple of saves, um, and that's all. But Neymar also had a couple of chances that he really should have should have got closer to the target at least. A header in the second half. Um, a, an acrobatic shot from the edge of the six-yard box, really, or penalty spot in, in the first half as well. Paris dominated. There were 16 shots to three in the match. You can't say that, that Lille dominated this match. Lille took their chance. They got an early goal, um, thanks to a lapse in concentration from Paris Saint-Germain, and they have the best defence in the land, and they defended, and they defended stoutly, and they defended with, with aggression and discipline, and that's what turned this turned this match. So we thought the the weak link might be at right back with Thiago Jallo, especially after his cup performance against Paris three weeks ago, in which he was a disaster. He was superb, and I think even unlucky. I think we'll probably get to it, but unlucky for for the red card as well. Lil got the goal, and Lil defended. Fair play, all power to them. That's how, if they're going to go all the way, that's how they're going to do it. Because on the back of their defence, because they transition quickly, they're a they're a modern footballing side, but. At the end of the day, it's their defence, Benjamin Andre in front of them and a 37-year-old central defender and an excellent goalkeeper that are getting Lille this close to the title. Lille now three points clear at the top of the table, Ian. And uh, let's just carry on with Paris Saint-Germain a little bit longer before we give Lille the praise that they rightly deserve. Echoes, I thought, of the way Monaco played against Paris Saint-Germain and the way Lille set up uh, against PSG at the Parc des Princes on Saturday. Uh, but PSG have now got 
eight losses this season, which is unbelievable. Three in a row at home. And with Neymar losing it, are they now in serious danger of not being able to retain their title? I think there's every possibility that they won't retain their title. I mean, it, it's still too early to write them off. Of course, there's still seven games left and a lot of things can happen. I, I suspect, and we'll come to this later, that PSG will be somewhat distracted by their Champions League challenge. They've got that huge game, huge tie with Bayern Munich coming up. And that's going to be, that's really that. I think that's really their focus as well. I, I know that Pochettino put out a strong side on, on Saturday, but they've got to have had more than one eye on that game. Um, just to come back to Neymar, I mean, he, you're right, Robbie, it is going to take time for him to get in, in, into his rhythm, but um, he did look rusty. But how's he going to get into his rhythm when he's going to be banned potentially for two, three games? I mean, you, you may remember that he had one ban, one game suspended of a ban from that sending off that he had with Alvaro Gonzalez in, in the game against Marseille. So he's going to, he's going to be potentially banned for longer. Um, he's not going to get his rhythm back sitting on the sidelines. It was For me, it was an absolutely ridiculous a ridiculous situation to get himself into in the final minute. He's already on a booking. Yes, you're trying to win the game, of course, but what was he? What was he thinking? And then he's you're trying to draw the game. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you what is is he going to draw it having an early bath? Is that how he was going to do it? I mean, what what is he doing? It's not as if it's uh, Thiago Thiago Jallo. Yeah, of course, he's trying to waste a little bit of time, but Neymar barging in. He's going to get himself sent off. He's on a yellow card. He's got to think a little bit. He's got to be a little bit smarter than that. That was ridiculous. And it's not going to help PSG. It didn't help PSG in the short term. And it certainly isn't going to help them in the long term. I think what we're seeing is that uh, teams, and and you mentioned the red card against Marseille, where Alvaro Gonzalez got under his skin. The first yellow card is for letting Benjamin Andre get under his skin as well. And Benjamin Andre is one of those players who who just gets under your skin because he's so combative. He's, so, he's just always there. He's omnipresent, always putting a foot in, always fouling, always trying to win the ball. Not always fouling, that's a bit, that's a bit harsh. He's, a, he's an excellent player. He's been the driving force. But Neymar is letting these players get under his skin, isn't he? Well, let, I mean, let's come back to that incident. Let's come back to that incident. I don't know what you think, but I thought he raised his hands to 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 Andre. He did that. The, the pair of them did that ridiculous putting their heads together. Yeah, the face off. Right, the face off. But then Neymar raised his hands and pushed yeah, pushed them absolutely. into the face of Benjamin Andre, who, to be fair to him, didn't make the most of it. Didn't go down as if he'd been you know struck by an Exocet missile. However, Benoit Bastian saw it. He gave. Neymar, a yellow card. He was very, very fortunate not to get a straight red for that. In, in, on most occasions, I think most players, they would have got a straight red already. Let's give Lille their praise that they deserve now because uh, just before the international window, they lost at home to Nîmes and we were starting to wonder whether their title challenge was faltering. That's the, the most eloquent response that they could have given going to the Parc de Prince, where, as Robbie said, they'd been beaten heavily in the Coupe de France in midweek before the international window getting the three points and now clear at the top their title to lose now. Well, I, um, Dave, just to, you said it was an eloquent response. If it, it it was hardly one of your poems, was it? It was it certainly wasn't a sonnet. It was barely a haiku. I mean, they they weren't particularly creative as Robbie pointed out to to be fair. PSG had the chances, missed the chances. Mignon was excellent. That save from Kylian Mbappé. Superb. Mm, superb. Re- yeah. Really superb stop. Um I mean, let's not forget as well, Keylor Navas made a good save uh, towards the end of the game from Burak Yilmaz, one of your faves, Dave. 
um, who's been in excellent form. Interesting to see Galtier leave him out at kickoff, but um, probably the smart move given given his international duties. But Lille were not pretty. Let's make no bones about that. But did we ever expect them to be pretty? Galtier set them up, like you said, pretty much how Nico Kovac had set up Monaco previously. They were always going to defend. They were always going to try and look to hit on the counter-attack. They were going to try and take the chances that came their way. Got a little bit of a lucky break with the goal as well. Jonathan David's shot was deflected up off uh, Tilo Kera, who just cannot buy a break right now. I, I don't know whether Navas would have saved it. He certainly would have had a better chance if it hadn't taken a touch off Kera. It, they weren't pretty, but they were very, very effective. And, and they got a bit of luck with PSG missing chances, Neymar being rusty. It was a very, very good win, but I suspect that Lille would have been happy with a point. Yeah, I, I, on. I would agree. Go I on. would agree. I also think full credit to, you know, that was their game plan. I think you summed it up summed it up quite well, Ian. I mean, defensively, they did concede a few chances, but it's, and I would have used this argument the other way for, for say, Kaylor Navas's performances um, against Barcelona, for example. You're allowed to have an excellent goalkeeper. Mike Mignon, we talk, we talk about, you know, Jonathan David scoring goals and how his goals are going to win them the, the league. Perhaps we should also say Mike Mignon saves might just win Lille the league. He's been superb this season. And, and if your game plan is stay solid, play with two lines of four, plus a, a player just behind a striker, and even Jonathan Iconi was getting back and, and doing defensive duties in the second half, which was something quite special. Bomber is an incredibly generous and disciplined player as well. Uh, on on the other side, Renato Sanchez was playing right on the white. He also gets back and defends and gets stuck in. I mean, it was a, a great team performance. And when you know you have Mike Mignon there and he's one of your strengths, go for it. Play to your strengths. These are Lil's strengths. They've made no bones about it. Yes, probably even Galtier saw what Monaco did. It's very similar in the fact that I think it was Sofiane Diop scored after just eight minutes in that Monaco win as well. And then they defended and managed to, to nab that second goal, which Lille almost did through Burak Yilmaz in the second half. I mean, that's a way you can beat Paris if you're good enough. Other sides have come and tried to play that way, not with the idea of winning, but more with the idea of, of limiting the damage. But when you have the quality that Lille have, that Monaco have, that Lyon, because Lyon's another team that won at the Parc des Princes this season by a goal to nil again, uh, you do it, you play to your plan, and it's working. As Robbie says, it carries on Paris Saint-Germain's horrendous record against the other members in the top four. Lille are now unbeaten in 10 away games. They're top of the table on 66 points with seven matches to go. Paris Saint-Germain's second on 63. Monaco up to third place now. And earlier on Saturday, they swept aside Mets 4-0 at Stade Louis de and Angus Tarodes commentated that one. Chess Fabregas then against Kaya. And no problems at all for the experienced Spaniard. And Monaco, having been frustrated for the whole of the first half, make a great start, taking the lead in the second. Fofana, lovely little ball in, and it could be the chance for 2-0. And Kevin Volland has scored. Into the middle, but yet it turns! And he finally scores another goal. Well, Wissam Ben Yedda missed a penalty the last time he tried. Up against Brest. He wants to get back on the scoring trail from the spot and does. And Wissam Ben Yedda scores his 15th goal of the campaign. And Monaco sending out a clear message as to their title ambitions here. 
not just to Lyon, but to the top two, Paris Saint-Germain and Lille. What a title run in we are having. Monaco, by far the best at Ligue 1 club in 2021. That's now 11 wins in 14 matches. Mets did have some first-half chances, but then Monaco, with uh, their fearsome attack, with Ben Yedder coming off the bench and scoring twice, scored four goals, and Niko Kovac's side might be able to keep this going all the way to the finish. Are they now emerging as a serious, serious threat, Ian? Yes. Do you, want some, do, you want, do you want me to build on that? I'd like a bit more. <laughs> okay, yeah, a okay. bit more detail. I, I think they are. I mean, I, it's just outrageous, isn't it? I mean, what, Jovetic, Jovetic starts in, in place of Ben Yedda. Ben Yedda, who's got 13 goals, I think, before before Saturday. Slightly out of form for him. Jovetic doesn't score. He goes off. Ben Yedda comes on. Two goals. He doesn't score. Folland scores. If Folland doesn't score, Jovetic scores. If Jovetic doesn't score, Golovin scores. If Golovin doesn't score... Chuomeni has scored, although he's uh, he's injured now. But it, or or Guillermo Maripan, the, the centre back. I mean, he's got four or five goals as well. It, there's goals all over that Monaco side. P- possibly defensively, they're not the greatest, even though they got a clean sheet at the weekend. And, and uh, talking about great goalkeepers, a brilliant save in there from Benjamin Leconte, the Monaco goalkeeper from Lamingue, uh, when it was still nil nil. But they just powered. They just powered through Mets in the second half. First, the first penalty. Fortunate, I have to say. Very, very fortunate indeed. Jovetic was certainly looking for it. He'd already clipped the ball wide when Mark uh, Aurel Kayar collided with him. But uh, once Fabregas put the ball down, you knew he was going to score. And uh, and after that, they were just they were just too good. A lovely goal as well from Ben Yedder, his, uh, his first great switch of feet. And uh, here's a name for you. Elliot Matazzo, 19-year-old midfielder. Belgian, picked up from Anderlecht in 2019. Fabulous run, central midfield run for, for the uh, goal to tee up Volant, who basically just had to turn and hit it into the corner, which he did, duly. And uh, he came in for Chouameni, who was injured on, on under-21 duty with France. Matazza looks looked a real talent. If he can produce that sort of form on a regular basis, uh, Monaco have got yet another gem on their hands. I thought there were shades of the 2017 team, the way Monaco set up in this game with uh, Fabregas making his first start since 2017, nominally as a, a slightly left-sided midfielder, though he played very centrally as a playmaker and Golovin playing as well with no Sofiane Diop because they basically left the width to the fullbacks, had creative players operating inside. And uh, as Ian says, the, the threat coming from everywhere and uh, everyone buys into Kovac's system. I mean, I, I wrote a piece for the Ligan.com website last week about Stefan Jovetic, who scored three goals for Montenegro during the international window, and asking the question whether he could be a key player in the title race. Usually when you put a question mark at the end of your headline, it's because the answer is no or don't know. But I think Jovetic really could be a, a key player. Um, he got the start uh, ahead of Ben Yedder, having scored against Saint-Étienne just before the international window. But what I found interesting doing the research was that Kovac said, you know, I wasn't picking Jovetic to start games at the start of the season because he wasn't doing enough for me defensively. He's so demanding of his players, but he says that Jovetic is now fitter. He's had a good run without injury and he now knows what is expected of him. And I I really think as well that these matches being played behind closed doors plays into Monaco's hands because Kovac is um, always issuing instructions to his players and, and you can hear them in a closed door stadium. And I think the players listen to him throughout the game. 
I've just, I've just got a comment about that. The, uh, the the French TV station on which I watched the game was actually was actually piping in the fake crowd noise, which would have been which was louder than how the crowd would have been in Monaco if they'd actually been there. <laughs> so which which I thought was which I thought was pretty funny. But you, you're right, David. He's he he is really he is very demanding. But they they are absolutely all buying into it. I mean, Jelson Martins comes off the bench. He gets he makes the run in behind the the Mets. Defense to get the penalty, which uh, Ben Yedda scores his second from. I have to say, ben, also Ben Yedda's goal celebration flummoxed me. But uh, I'm reliably informed by somebody far younger than myself that it's uh, to do with the Dragon Ball anime series. I, I, I'm sure that's lost on both of you as well. Don't know but, what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Now, completely <laughs> lost me. <laughs> no, Dragon Dragon Ball Z is uh, our generation in France. I don't know if it's the the same in, or maybe just a little bit younger than us. But uh, a lot of people our age are right into Dragon Ball Z and grew up with it here in France. We didn't have it in Australia, or at least not that not that I'm aware of. We had Battle of the Planets. Oh yeah, I love Battle of the Planets. <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting sidetracked here. We're getting sidetracked. <laughs> can, we, can we get back to the football, boys? Uh, the football for me, for for Monaco, and and probably like Ian, um, who's been who's been singing the praises. I've 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 seen Monaco as a as a, a a threat ever since they sorted out their defensive frailties at the start of the season, which I think was not only the adjustment period for De Sassi to 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 come in. Maripan wasn't playing at the start either. They they needed to to find a better balance and a, and everyone to buy in, and it wasn't happening at the start. They were conceding lots of goals. Ian said that Benjamin Lecomte made a stunning save. That's got to be the first time anyone said that this season. And I like Benjamin Lecomte as a character, but he's not a goalkeeper that's going to win you matches. He's not your Mike Mignon, your Kaylor Navas. But if he's starting to make saves as well, then, you know, in that match yesterday, they even managed to put Badia Shiel on the bench after him playing so much with the under-21s and not wanting to, to, to rush him back or take any chances with him. So that shows you that defensively, they have really come a long way without Chuameni, who often shielded in front, you know, with Fofana as well. That everyone's buying into it. That's what the main thing is. And since they turned that corner, I think in, in sort of November last year, they have become a real threat. We said Folon started scoring. Ben Yedda went through a drought, but he's a leader. He's fantastic on the pitch. Jovetic has come back as well. They've, they're Golovin, who was injured for a long time this season as well. It's all coming good at the right time of the season for Monaco. Yeah, no one's going to fancy playing Monaco in the last uh, seven matches of the season. And I think uh, Leon all do, along. don't they? Or not? Is it Leon all that take on Monaco? don't have the full fixture in have front of me. Yeah, but I think and you're Monaco right. to come, I think. Which is not good news for Leon in particular. There's a lot of bad news for Leon who we're going to move on to right now, actually, because they're stumbling. They're now out of the Champions League qualifying positions in fourth place. They've taken only two points out of their last nine. Going away to Lens always looked like a, a tricky match for Rudy Garcia's side coming back after the international window. And uh, they drew one all. We can hear the commentary from Armel Tongi. And now Lens perhaps can take the lead. They can. It's that man again, Jonathan Claus. More and more decisive for the Racing Club de Lens. And Leon who were a Jean-Louis Lecker foot away from taking the lead just a minute ago, find themselves trailing to a Jonathan Claus opener. 
Paqueta finds Ryan Shaki. Ryan Shaki at goal, might still fall for Leon. Paqueta strikes and they have their equaliser. Lucas Paqueta with what could be a huge goal for Olympique Lyonnais season. Well, Lance had resisted for just over 80 minutes. But with the amount of attacking players on the pitch, Lyon were always going to create chances. It's a lifeline for Lyon. One all here at the Stade Bollard. Hey, David, you mentioned that Lyon could be in trouble and uh, stumbling. We just had a quick look at the fixtures. Lyon have got to play Lille at home in uh, in a couple of weeks. And then 2nd of May, they go to the Stade Louis II to take on Monaco, which is, as you said, nobody, nobody wants to go down there. I mean, the weather will be fabulous, but... Uh, Apart from that, Leon are going to suffer, really, really suffer. If Monaco are playing the, the way that they played against Mets and have played in recent weeks, in fact, basically since the turn of the year, uh, that could be the moment where Leon's Champions League hopes for next season just get absolutely smashed out of the ballpark. A devil's advocate might say that's uh, two opportunities for Leon to, to turn things around and, and charge back into contention as well. Well, it would be if, if the devil's advocate was just alarmingly optimistic because the way that the way that Leon played, they were so fortunate to get away from Lance uh, with a point. Very, very fortunate. Lovely goal by Lucas Paqueta, by the way. But and of course, Lance have had a very good, uh, very good season as well. I think it's uh, unbeaten in unbeaten in ten now. But they're not going to they're not going to beat Monaco. They're not going to beat Lille on this sort of form. They need to pick it up drastically. Memphis Depay was anonymous. Toko Akambi, likewise. Kadawari had a couple of chances. His movement was all right, but his finishing was awful. And, you know, those three have been carrying them through with the with the outrageous amount of goals that they'd scored. And they're just not firing at all now. And Islam Simani uh, came on and got himself sent off. So a suspension looming for the Algerian international. Yeah, I've, I've got a really bad feeling for Lyon. I, I said a few weeks ago, having initially claimed that they'd be the most serious challengers to Paris Saint-Germain at the turn of the year, that uh, Rudy Garcia might be getting that familiar feeling from 2018 of a high points tally, but finishing fourth, which he had at Olympique de Marseille. And that's definitely the way I'm leaning now, given their form. It's hard to take things from what we've seen so far and just say, OK, on paper, this should happen from now on. We've seen all the teams are dropping points. And, and it's a, a perhaps a cliche to say it as well, but the team that makes the fewest mistakes, the team that can really just keep it together from now till the end of the season, has as good a chance as any. It's not going to necessarily take something spectacular. It's not necessarily going to take seven wins. It might take four wins and three draws just to, to stumble across the line. Because I think, let's not forget, and I said it a little bit tongue-in-cheek earlier with talk of Paris Saint-Germain, that this season has seen, is not played over 10 months. It's played over eight and a half months. It's a lot of football. We've seen cup matches, Leon is still in the cup, at least for the time being. That that could have a a, a bearing somewhere. You know, there Monaco is still in the cup for the moment as well. Paris is still in the cup. I think Lille are, Lille are out against Paris Saint Germain, so maybe that can work in their favour. Paris Saint Germain is still in the Champions League, and physically the teams and the players are struggling. Even when you have internationals go away, they play three times in ten days instead of just maybe one full match and one match off the bench, which is how. All, all clubs have tried to negotiate over the last decade with, with their players. Now they're playing three matches in, in 10 days with the national team. It's crazy what we're asking of the players. And physically, 
players all over Europe, including France, are going to suffer. And consistency has been the big victim of that. Just a, a footnote to this match uh, about Lens, who are fifth in the table, as Ian said, unbeaten in 10. And we should just talk a little bit about uh, Jonathan Klaus, who scored uh, again uh, against Lyon. He's uh, had an interesting career path, uh, had a few small jobs uh, like uh, at La Poste, and he always delivers for Lens, actually. He's mm. top of Lequipe's average ratings. Yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> he, he went through the sixth division in Germany, came back to French football, and he's the defender who's been involved in the highest number of goals in Ligue 1 this season, scoring three, six assists. So well done, Jonathan Klaus, showing you can be a late developer and uh, feature for a team flying high in Ligue 1. I'd like to give you credit as well, David, from shying away from the most obvious pun, uh, given his surname. But uh, still, you know, Santa. I mean, he is the defender who just keeps on giving. And and I I so wish, I so wish he moves. It'd be great to see him in English football, just purely for the headlines. Do you think he's got the the quality? I'm always a little bit suspicious of of these players who who suddenly burst onto the scene. Is he this season's Kenny Lala? Well, exactly. It's fantastic to see, and he's and I really like the the way he plays because it's so attacking, it's so offensive, and and you know it's positive, vibrant football, and it works at Lens, and that's what I really like, and I think we see it less and less. Players when they they have a good fit at a good club, sometimes everyone says, "This has been amazing. You've got to go higher, go higher. Let's let's move on now. Capitalize on this. You know, make the most of this opportunity that's going to present itself." Sometimes a player would be much better to just say, look, I am playing the best football of my career here at Lens this season. I'm, I'm loving it. I should stay here and continue to... Maybe, maybe I'm loving it because everything fits together here. And if I move to, to the, the Premiership or, you know... I mean, he came from the German second division, didn't he? That's right. I Arminia, think, Biele- but, Arminia Bielefeld. Yeah. Uh, it, I where, mean, it, you know, he was obviously enjoying his football there as well. Perhaps, you know, it's... But don't be too ambitious when finally you're playing really well and you're, you're clearly enjoying your football. Enjoy it. Yeah, it's a good point. He, uh, talking about quality, you should see the first touch that he took to, to bring it into his path and low shot between, between Lopez's legs. It was a great finish, and particularly from a right back. It's, it, it's a really good point, Robbie. But, uh, I mean, huge credit to Lance. I mean, we, you guys bravely made predictions a few weeks ago at the start of the season. If if somebody had told you Lance were going to be fifth at this stage of the season, you'd have laughed them off, surely. I mean, great, great recruit, recruitment. Uh, Seko Fafana had a brilliant game against Lyon as well. Uh, he looked really good. Sheikh Ducouré. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah he absolutely. looks really good. 21-year-old. Yeah. Looks really superb. Um, you know they were they Sick were a real Fafana, excellent and yeah. Loic Bade at the back. I mean he yeah. he their coach had two first team matches in his career before the start of this season. I mean he <laughs> he he took over as, more or less as a you know we've got to try something for the end of season and suddenly they won two matches and the coronavirus ended the campaign and they were by by chance almost in in promotion and and won promotion sitting in second place. Frank Hayes has done a fantastic job in 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 his first season as well. But I get the feeling it's almost like a perfect storm. It's everything in alignment for them. They they took a, a chance on players. They've paid off. They took a chance on the coach. It paid off. Everything is going perfectly for Lance. 
Yeah, it's, it, the, only, the only shame for me is that there's no fans in the stadium because that is a real football town. I mean, they, they were a fabulous team in the 1990s. They were in the Champions League. Don't know if you remember. Um, I seem to remember them playing Arsenal, beating Arsenal possibly. We need Matt back for that one. But uh, they were superb. Lons are holding fifth position then, which uh, would mean them qualifying for Europe. But Marseille are only a point back from Lons in fifth after their 2-0 win over Dijon on Sunday evening. So Jorge Sampaoli with uh, the potential of getting OM into Europe for next season, especially as the clubs around them, Lens, Rennes, Montpellier and Metz, all dropped points. Montpellier drew one all at Angers. Their goal scorer, Steffi Mavadidi, the English forward, who's got five goals in his last six games and nine overall. And we can hear from Mavadidi now about his uh, goal-scoring form. When I play, um, I mean, I get into goal-scoring opportun- uh, positions and I have confidence in uh, in my finishing ability. So I'm not saying every time I shoot it goes in, but when I get into the positions, I'm... I have confidence in my ability, so like when I shoot, they tend to go in. Well, when I was commentating this match and it was uh, nil-nil at halftime, I wasn't thinking we were going to chat very long about it in the in the podcast today because it wasn't a thriller uh, in the first half at, at Stad Raymond Copper. But we did see a Steffi Mavadidi who's made a place for himself in that Montpellier front line. They played with a... A 4-3-3 with Mavididi on the left, Gaetan Laborde on the right and Andy Delore through the middle. And it was a brave move, I think, for Steffi Mavididi, to, who was on loan from, from Juve last year at Dijon, to make that move across to Montpellier, a permanent deal. Um, there was obviously something he liked about French football or it was a, a, a proposition that, that suited him. And, and I think he's done really well. He's now And he's found his form of late because it wasn't easy, obviously, settling in when all the goals in the first half of the season were being scored by Delors and Laborde at Montpellier. He's now got five of Montpellier's last eight. Um, but for Montpellier, very briefly on the match, um, they missed out big time against Angers. Angers with just two wins in their last 13 matches now. They're, they've thrown in the towel. Their coach, Stéphane Moulin, who's been at the club for 16 years, first team coach for 10 years, has announced he's leaving at the end of the season. They've got half their first team yesterday were were 30 years of age or older. There's a big change coming at Angers and Montpellier, who had so many chances in the second half to get a win that could put them back in the hunt for that fifth place. Didn't take them. Um, yes, nine matches without defeat now for Montpellier, five draws and four wins, but they, they missed out on a crucial three points yesterday. But Steffi did score. Montpellier eighth in the table on 45 points. Rennes also have 45, but a better goal difference. Marseille 48 and Lens 49. Mets slipping away there on 42 in ninth place. Uh, let's move on now to Deja Who, our listeners' favourite feature of this show, I would say. So well done to our executive producer, Ian Holyman, who came up with a real tester in our last edition. I'll read out the clue now and then give you the answer. My career started in the country of my birth, though it wasn't the country I represented at international level, and took in Tanzania and South Africa before I arrived in Europe in 1996. I hopped across the border to Ligan, where I started in Brittany, but really made my name in sunnier southern climes, where I was bought to replace a World Cup winner at the turn of the millennium. I spent five years there reaching a major final and suffering a serious injury before going on to Italy, England briefly, and Turkey. I thought that was tough. The answer, Shabani Nonda. And to bring you the names of the listeners who got this one right, over to you, Ian. 
Well, thanks, David. And uh, first of all, I've got to say, every single week, I am amazed at how many people get these things. I mean, Shabani Nanda. I mean, I, I was really, I thought, I've got you this time, boys, but no. How um, old is our 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 listenership? <laughs> that's a that's that's a question because Shabani Nanda was when we were cutting our teeth here in France. He was the the main man. I suspect they're of the Battle of the Planets generation too, Robbie. Um, <laughs> so. The usual suspects, Adam Cyrilnik, Happy Bar, Wei Chen Lo, Thomas DeRoy, Frenchie in Detroit, and James Cathy, I doff my beret to you right now. Unbelievable. Uh, let's see if you can get this week's one. I think this one's quite tough as well. I've given I belong... up. They're all too tough for me. Yeah, even sometimes when I've got the name in front of me, I'm still not convinced that it's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Deja Who this week. I belonged to noble stock, but was often far from gentlemanly on the pitch. I started my career at the club Peugeot built, but wrote the first significant chapter of my career in blood and gold. I played for, among others, Gérard Houllier, Sam Allardyce twice, Roy Keane and Walter Smith. There's one for you followers of British football. I reckon quite a few will get this one, actually. I have to say that I cannot imagine the conversation between Roy Keane and this player. I, I really can't. I, I, strange. It, it would need fellows. some editing. Worth. <laughs> Wait, it's a pity that Netflix weren't making documentaries around that time. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, anyway, uh, without further ado, let's move on. Let's keep the British connection going, actually, and talk about Etienne Green, nominative determinism, the best named player in French football, the young goalkeeper born in Colchester in Essex in England. England's best contribution to Saint-Étienne since Sarah Cracknell, also Essex-born actually, and that's one for you 90s indie music fans. Check out your In A Bad Way. Let's get back to the football again. We're getting very sidetracked today. Etienne Green saved a penalty from Renault Repart and got a clean sheet on his Saint-Étienne debut. The third choice keeper, a 2-0 win at Nîmes. A dream debut for him. Uh, and what a story, gents. Oh, it, it, I mean, could it get any better? It, it... I don't know if you saw the uh, social media of Saint-Étienne yesterday, but they published a picture of Etienne Green as a ball boy in front of... Um, oh, Jeremy Jeannot. Yeah. That's the one. That's the Spider-Man. Yeah, the Spider-Man shirt. In front of Jer- Jeremy Jeannot. Uh, uh, it was a legendary, think. legendary Saint-Étienne goalkeeper, Jeremy Jeannot. And here, this picture of this young kid, 13 years of age, standing there in, next to him, just, you know, dreaming. Just- just incredible, isn't it? And uh, yeah, just, I mean, let's just point out for those who don't speak French, um, Saint Etienne's nickname, Lever, the Greens. I think the rest uh, speaks for itself. But, um, and because French... Saint Etienne were wearing their away kit, the white one, he was dressed all in green as well. Yeah. He was green I... from head from top to toe. I'm, I, I'm surprised you're not in tears, though, Dave. Ripa, your, your cult hero, your, your bromance, bro. I mean, missing a pen is a big I, I am I am pretty upset, actually, because. Up until yesterday, I thought I had a good claim for being Essex's biggest contribution to Ligue 1. And Etienne Green comes along and now I've got no chance. Everyone has forgotten about me already. Um, He moved to Saint-Etienne at the age of four. Flash in the pan, Dave. This Etienne Green boy, I don't know if he's really got what it takes. Don't don't sell yourself short. You're still still our (laughs) favourite Essex contribution to Ligue 1 football, David. Get him on the podcast, that's what I say. Um, (laughs) Yeah. His, he was born to a French mother, Marlene, and an English father, Richard, moved to Saint-Étienne at the age of four. And there was a nice little detail that emerged uh, in the press that uh, he actually chose the house that they moved to because it had three 
balls in the back garden. He said, this is where I want to come. So he's been surrounded by football from a very young age. He's been on the books at Saint-Étienne for over a decade, I think, and he's still only 20 years old. And uh, he's set to get another chance in the next game they play as well. So let's hope that Etienne Green goes on to have a, a terrific career at Saint-Étienne. Good student, a good student as well, obviously. He said he'd done his homework. He saw that Repar went to sort of opened his foot and went to the right. Uh, Repar's right, the goalkeeper's left. So he went. He decided just to dive to his left and that's where Repar put it. And Repar, I think he had six out of six, didn't he, in Ligue 1 before, b- before that penalty miss? I th- well, he was 100% anyway in his Ligue 1 career from the penalty spot before coming up against Etienne Green. Fantastic story, Etienne Green. We'll track his progress uh, over the rest of the season. We need to find out if he still speaks English. and uh, Or if he does speak English. I guess he does. I, I hope he's still got an Essex accent. I, I might try and slip <laughs> into the Essex accent if I speak to him. You know? uh, right, there we go. Um, he was tall when he came here. No, he's not good No, but his dad's accent. English. No, no, he probably goes back on holidays still. No, he's def- I, I would say almost certainly bilingual. We'll be checking that That's, out. Yeah, we will be checking that out. We'll get our best people onto it, Ian. <laughs> well, we've seen we've got loads, so many English kids here playing in playing in France now as well, and that looks like it's going to be something something to continue. Uh, just uh, just on a more serious point, big big win for Saint Etienne, actually, very mm. big win. Yeah, gives, absolutely. Them, gives them real breathing space at the bottom of the table. Yeah, the the relegation battle. We've focused mainly on the title race, inevitably, and uh, on the battle for fifth. But uh, that result for Saint Etienne took them on to thirty six points, and they're now eight Lorient points clear well. of. 19th place Nantes, Lorient 17th on 32, Nîmes 18th on 29, Dijon 15 points, rock bottom of the table and heading for the second division. Strasbourg, good win for them as well. Look, look, some big wins on the not only at the top but also at the bottom and, and for Dijon, poor old Dijon, big loss as well. Yeah, crazy first half in Bordeaux, all, all five goals in the first half. Mm. A very special bon voyage this week because we can take in Paris Saint-Germain's trip to Bayern Munich as well as the upcoming... Ligue 1 fixtures at the weekend. Bon voyage. The luckiest man on this podcast is Robbie Thompson, who is uh, going to be one of the privileged few able to go to Munich for the rematch of the Champions League final, a match that Paris Saint-Germain aren't approaching in the best possible state, given their loss to Lille and their problems in midfield with Paredes suspended, Verratti positive for COVID and Danilo working back from injury. It's going to be a tough task for Maurizio Pochettino and his team, Rob. Absolutely it is, Dave. Before that, just on a, on a personal note, and I, I know we're on video Zoom here, so I did have my PCR test this morning, very early at the, at the PSG training camp. And here is, and this is com- highly confidential, but this is what's going to happen. Uh, in the next 48 hours in Germany, minus the result, which I don't have. But uh, I can tell you that we're flying out tomorrow morning, that uh, lunch is planned in Munich at 1.30, then we head to training at 5 p.m., press conference back, dinner at uh, 8.15 tomorrow evening, and then a day more or less at leisure, early breakfast, plenty of reunions for the players, rendezvous, meetings for them, and... uh, and then the big one, and we're staying the night in on Wednesday night and coming back Thursday morning, which normally we'd come back straight after the, the match during the night, but uh, an extra day in Munich. Now, for the more important side of things, perhaps the football side of things, um, yes, we were all thinking when 
Lewandowski was announced that he was out. Ooh, this is this is a good thing for Paris Saint-Germain. And then Marco Verratti came back with an injury and has since tested positive. Florenzi as well. Danilo came back with a with a calf problem. Um, we've got uh, Levin Kuzava, who's out at the moment. There, Paris Saint-Germain squad Paredes, as you said, Dave, is suspended as well. So in midfield, are you looking at Gay Danilo? There's Ander Herrera. Do do you look to change the formation a little bit, which I think is a little bit risky considering we've been playing with two number sixes for the most part of the time under under Pochettino. You we really need two players that can play that defensive midfield role. Um I think Gay is almost a certain starter there now, given the absence of Paredes and Verratti. Um Neymar we saw is perhaps not not fully into his stride. The red card will be a factor for Ligue 1, but Paris still have cup matches to come and at least two more Champions League games. So I think his his rhythm will will return. Uh, I don't know if he's being that penalised by missing out on a on a, a couple of Ligue 1 matches at Strasbourg and and Metz. But uh, yes, look, it's going to be tough. It's a replay of last season's final. We know that Bayern Munich are, of of all the sides in Europe that were in Europe last season, they are the ones that have dealt with it best. This term, really, along with perhaps Manchester City, as sides that have that have managed to get to maintain their form for long periods this this term, yes, it's going to be tough. But I think you, I wouldn't write Paris Saint Germain off yet at this stage. They have so many great individual players, and when I look at the motivation and the determination they showed against Lyon, which they considered a big match. Um, Hopefully, they can reproduce that sort of thing uh, against Bayern on Wednesday. Let's not forget as well, it's two legs. What happens in Bayern Munich will still have to be resolved at the Parc des Princes a week later. Robert Lewandowski might miss both legs, we're hearing. Bayern Munich, though, Ian, are coming into this in a very different frame of mind to Paris Saint-Germain after their 1-0 win over RB Leipzig at the weekend, basically wrapping up the Bundesliga title. Uh, I know you follow German football probably more closely than either Robbie or myself. Uh, how, what do you make of Bayern at the moment? It does look impressive in terms of the table. They're seven points clear now of Leipzig after that win at the weekend. It wasn't particularly graceful. It wasn't particularly good. They did kind of grind it out. Um, a bit fortunate at times. Lewandowski is a massive miss. He's a massive miss. And uh, they, they don't have anybody to replace him. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain fans will know full well the player who is likely to replace him. It's uh, Eric Maxim. Chopper who uh, got PSG through to the semi-finals with that last gasp goal um, coming off the bench against Atalanta. Um, before anybody laughs, uh, he's had a pretty decent season. Uh, a goal or an, or an assist every 140 minutes he's been on the pitch this season for, for Bayern Munich. Um, they've not, you know, Robbie said they've maintained their form. They, they, haven't, they haven't been consistently good, quite frankly, despite their lead uh, in the table. A bit up and down, I think that was to be expected. One major, major thorn in their side right now is their coach, Hansi Flick. Because during the international break, Germany got beaten by North Macedonia in a World Cup qualifier. I think it's their first World Cup qualifying defeat since England beat them 5-1 back in, what, 2001? Huge shockwaves through German football. Now, Love had already said he was going to step down after Euro 2020. Uh, this summer, but Hansi Flick is being touted as the next Germany boss. He was uh, he was an assistant at, at one time, then he was actually Love's boss at the German Football Federation. 
there's talk in the German media that the, the German FA would like to get rid of Love now before the tournament because they, they see it going the same way as a pretty disastrous 2018 World Cup. Um, you know, Flick leaving or not leaving, we've seen what it did to the likes of Bordeaux back in 2010 when they were leading the, the Ligue 1 table. Laurent Blanc announced he's going to coach France from that summer and they absolutely fell apart. They should have won back-to-back titles and instead I think they finished about seventh. Bayern might have a bit more quality, a bit more experience about them. But that is a that's a that's a pretty big question mark right now. And of course, Lewandowski, there's there's I mean Chopper Motting, as honest and as good a pro as he is, he's not Lewandowski and never will be. So it's a huge bonus for PSG that he's missing. Massive, but as Robbie said, PSG have got their got their own problems. I would I suspect if I were Pochettino, I'd be going for Ander Herrera alongside uh Idrissa Gay. And, um, I mean, PSG should have enough firepower to cause them problems, but you've got a problem now at right back as well, I think, Robbie, which mm-hmm. is possibly a, a major concern for PSG because Tilo Kera has been pretty terrible ever since he really came to PSG. I don't think I've ever seen him have a decent game, and he's got to be the one, surely, who's now filling in for uh, filling in for Florenzi at right back, or it's Colin Dagba. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're the two, they're the two options. Um Look, it's going to be what Kingsley Coman uh, normally coming at him, and then perhaps you know Le Roisane, uh Leroy. If uh, if he comes off, there's Serge Gnabry as well. Uh, look, that's that's some firepower at Bayern Munich, even without Lewandowski. But we'll see. I'm 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 encouraged by your comments, Ian. Let's not forget though that Paris Saint Germain went to Barcelona and battered them. And yep, Kylian exactly. Mbappe scored a hat trick in that game, and Mbappe is due a good game again. I mean, he was brilliant against uh, Lyon just before the international window. Then mm-hmm. had a, a bit of a troubled time with France in their three World Cup qualifiers, and wasn't at his best either against Lille. So he's due a good game. Uh, I think they will have chances, Paris Saint Germain, but they'll need their really big players to come up trumps in this game. The likes of Mbappe and Neymar and Keylor Navas and Marquinhos uh, as well. I'd say. They did. They did batter Barcelona. What was the score? Four one. Yeah. Um, just cast your minds back to last summer when Bayern Munich played Barcelona. What was the score? Four Eight one two. times two. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bayern Munich are not Barcelona, unfortunately for PSG. I, I think it's it's going to be it's going to be a fabulous tie. I'm disappointed actually that Lewandowski isn't playing because you want the best players out there on the pitch. I, though, I'm going to stick on my neck out, and I think Paris Saint-Germain are going to do it. I think they were very close in that final yeah, last I summer. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that the fact that Lewandowski is out is is really a decisive factor. I like it. I like to hear it. I like what you're saying, Ian. And I'm going to back you up 100%. You surprise me, Robert. <laughs> the first leg coming up on Wednesday evening, the return leg at the Parc de Prince the following week. Um, let's bring Bon Voyage back to domestic football now and look ahead to the round 32 action. We've got Metz-Lille at 9 o'clock French time, 8 o'clock in the evening if uh, you're watching on BT Sports. Strasbourg-PSG Saturday afternoon, 5 o'clock French time, 4 o'clock in Great Britain. And uh, Monaco, well, they're at home to Dijon on the Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock in France, 4 o'clock in the UK. And Lyon at home to Angers on the Sunday evening, 9 o'clock in France, 8 o'clock in Britain. So, where do you want to go this weekend? It's a really busy week with that uh, Bayern Munich Paris Saint Germain game. Also, Coupe de France ties taking place in midweek. So we're spoilt for choice, really. We are indeed, and I I think that there's some interesting games for a couple of the title contenders, Lille uh, and Paris Saint Germain. I think 
Monaco at home to Dijon. Let's let's write that off as a home win. Leon against Angers. Eh, they're not very good away from home, are they, Angers? I suspect Leon will will win that one. But PSG against Strasbourg, especially coming off the back of that trip to Munich in midweek. Strasbourg, that great win at Bordeaux. That's a tricky one. But I actually will go for the Friday night game, which is Mets Lille. And I think Mets, who've had a who've had an excellent season like Lance have a rather surprising season and I think Mets will be have a few regrets that uh, they don't have Ibrahim Anyan uh, fit or haven't had him fit for the whole season because he he started really really well got a lot of goals and they would have been even better off uh, in the table than, than they are with him in the side I think that's a tricky one for Lille and um it could be a that's a potential banana skin for Christophe Galtier's side I uh, I'm going to avoid Paris Saint-Germain's trip to Strasbourg just because I want to stay focused 100% on the Champions League and and I think that is a, a crucial match for Paris. I'd like to see Steffi Mavididi up against Marseille. I'd like to have a look at how Marseille are adapting to life under under Jorge Sampaoli as well. We haven't spoken too much about him since he's, since he's started to put things in place. Um, Marseille with a couple of set pieces got the got the win last night but they I'd, I want to see just if if we can see any hint of what's of this exciting Marseille football club that we're going to see in in the, but maybe next season under San Paolo if there's anything there and of course we're going to have the full Steffi Mavididi interview to uh, preview this one as well next week um, and then the second game I was going to go to was Lance Lorient on the Sunday just because I think that could be entertaining I think there could be there are two sides. Lance, I don't think are playing with the pressure. I think they're enjoying playing it. And Lorient, with a great win over Brest in the derby, um, look, they're they're a side that have nice attacking players as well. And this could be a a good game. I want to see lots of goals uh, this weekend, so I'm going to go to Monaco Dijon. Sorry, Dijon. I think Monaco are going to put six past you on Sunday afternoon well that just about wraps up this week's edition of Le Beaujeu thanks to Robbie and Ian for being on the panel and don't forget to listen to the full Steffi Mavadidi interview when we put that up later in the week Ligue 1 is your place for excitement the four way title race continues next weekend Max Biro will be back with next week's pod and we'll see you again next week bye for now bye bye Oh, Vignetta, beautifully done, sensational.